Well, thank you for the warm introduction. And even more, thank you for your hospitality this weekend. I, I really enjoyed our time yesterday at the parenting seminar, getting to know some of you. Um, and even more, this, even more this morning, getting to talk with more of you, getting acquainted. Uh, what a delight it is to be together. It's amazing to me to think week after week, down in Louisville, we are having church. It's happening right now down there. And all I have to do is hop on I-71 and a few hours up the road. Here you are. And what a delight to know that you treasure the same things that we do. You love Jesus Christ and his word and his people the same way that we do. And it's a, a pleasure to know in sovereign grace together, there are so many other churches like yours where we are united for the purpose of making known the glory of Jesus Christ in our world. And so... We thank God for you. I want you to know that our church, Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville, I come with greetings from your brothers and sisters in Louisville. We pray for your church. We have great respect for your pastoral team. And my only regret, my only disappointment about being here this morning is that Jace isn't here. I was looking forward to spending time with him as well. But thank you for caring for him and his family by giving him the sabbatical. It's wonderful. So church, thank you so much for having me. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 78. While you're turning there, I want to tell you about one of the surprises of parenting for me has been how much my children enjoy hearing stories that Nicole and I tell them about our childhoods. Uh, it really surprised me that it shouldn't have surprised me. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing stories about my parents. I just didn't think my life was all that interesting, but my kids are interested. Um, I always loved my dad's stories about the Navy. I couldn't get enough. I wanted to hear more about the ships. Now my sisters would quickly grow tired of stories about engine rooms and celestial navigation, not their thing. But none of us would ever grow tired of my mom's story. I wish you could meet her. My mom turned 70 last Sunday, and she is a master storyteller. We could sit and listen to mom tell stories all day. We never got tired of the story of my own Uncle Clifton trying to give mom a golf lesson and mom knocking him out cold with the backswing of a nine iron. Mom has all kinds of stories. The time she told the story about when, when mom and dad got married in South Carolina in June in a heat wave in a little church with no air conditioning and my grandfather being the resourceful man that he was rounded up all the big fans he could find from this little town in South Carolina and at the dramatic moment when mom entered through the door her veil got sucked into one of the fans right next to the door and uh, it's a great story it's a family favorite oh, or the time that my mom as a 16 year old driving with her freshly minted driver's license making her way down Main Street of this little South Carolina town a police officer had just parked against the sidewalk and was opening his door at just the right moment, or just the wrong moment, as the case may have been. Mom clipped the door and laid the door flat all the way against the front of the police car. Police officer barely looked at her as he got out of the car, stepped into the store, right there, the kind of general store my grandfather was the manager of, and said, Mr. Floyd, we need to have a talk about Nancy's driving. <laughs> so we love those stories, man. We can never get enough of those stories. They are stories that shaped us. They passed on a family culture. They gave us an understanding of who the Whitakers are and where we came from, how we got here. And now Nicole and I are doing the same thing for our children. And it turns out we are tapping into a long tradition 
of generational storytelling. People have long recognized the power of story to shape the hearers. If you go back about 300 years, there was an 18th century Scottish politician and philosopher named Andrew Fletcher. And he is credited with this saying, let me write the songs of a nation and I care not who makes its laws. He understood that even through song, if you tell the story, you shape the people. Now, this didn't start 300 years ago. Go back even further, maybe a thousand years. In England, the Anglo-Saxon word for poet, for what we would call a poet, was the Anglo-Saxon word shope, a word that in normal usage meant to create or to draw out. And our modern English word shape comes from that Anglo-Saxon word because they recognized that the stories that they told shaped the people, shaped their character, shaped their uh, perceptions, shaped their affections. So we would be wise to pay attention to the stories that we tell as well. Today we're going to look at Psalm 78, and this is a psalm that is based around generational storytelling. It is a psalm that tells stories to shape generations. And when the fathers of our faith start telling their stories, what we get is the history of the saving works of God. And it turns out that storytelling is one of the ways that God intends for the central truths of the faith to get passed on from generation to generation. God gave us stories, but these are stories unlike any other. And here's the big idea of this psalm. The stories that we tell to the next generation about God shape the next generation and their love for God. The stories that we tell the next generation about God shape the next generation and their love for God. Now, Psalm 78, I'm going to warn you, is a long psalm. This is, in fact, the second longest psalm in the Psalter. And so we're not going to read the entire thing this morning. But I hope that in the next day or two, maybe this afternoon or tomorrow morning, I hope that you'll sit down and read all 72 verses of this psalm. The first eight verses provide kind of an introduction to the rest of the psalm. And then the remainder of the psalm is basically an extended illustration of the ideas that are introduced in the beginning. So I'm going to read the first eight verses and then I'm going to pray. So please follow along with me as I read Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. A masculine of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
Would you be pleased to bless the preaching of your word this morning? And help us, we pray, to see with our eyes, and to hear with our ears, and to set our hearts upon all that you show to us. And we pray this in the name of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen. We are going to look at these eight verses in three parts. So if you are a note taker, first point that I have from this psalm is the mandate. Tell the coming generation. This psalm gives us a mandate. And it begins with a call for attention. You see that in verse 1. Give ear, O my people. Incline your ears. The psalmist is saying, listen up. Got something I want to say to you. And he goes on and explains why in verse 2 he says that he will open his mouth in parables and that he will utter dark sayings. Now, dark here means something like opaque or otherwise unknown. It's not that they're morbid. Don't think Edgar Allan Poe poetry or the latest Batman movie. It's not dark in that sense. No, these are riddles. These are things that are otherwise locked up and unknown to us. Parables, riddles, dark sayings. These are stories from the past that have meaning and significance for the present that prepare the hearers for the future. And he explains why in verse 3. He says more. He says, these are things that we have not heard and known that our fathers have told us. Excuse me, I think I said that wrong. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. And then in verse 4, we will not hide them, but tell them. And so this psalm begins with a mandate to tell, to speak, to pass on. A call to join every previous generation of God's people in telling the coming generation so that he might shape the coming generation. We're not simply commanded to tell, we're invited to join in telling. Asaph is saying, look, I'm doing this. My father did this. His daddy did that as well. There will be generations after us that do this. We are standing in a long line of storytellers. And we are joining in that tradition of storytelling. These stories that are in this book, not just in Psalm 78, but in this whole book, these are the stories of God and his ways with his people. They're not just random scraps of a historical record. The whole book from Genesis to Revelation is a carefully crafted story about who God is and what he's like and what he's done. And think about how the stories in this book have shaped you in your Christian life. Maybe you've been shaped by reading the book of Ruth Think about how the book of Ruth has shaped your confidence that God is sovereign over every disappointment and difficulty in life. Think about perhaps how the book of Exodus maybe has shaped your awareness of God's desire to have his own people and to dwell amongst them in his holiness. Think about how the book of Acts has shaped your sense of the importance of the church for God's plan to make the gospel known among the nations. These stories that are in this book, they shape us. They shape our love for God. They shape our understanding of who we are and what we've been called to do in the world. Now, the mandate of this psalm is to tell the stories to a coming generation. And as we start talking about passing something on to the next generation, I would expect that there might be some people who would think, oh, I see, this is a sermon about parenting. 
I don't have kids, so I'm off the hook. I'm going to daydream for a little bit. I'm going to think about what I'm going to eat for lunch, maybe. Well, no, hold on, not so fast. Actually, this psalm teaches us that telling the coming generation is the responsibility of the family and of the church. This is something we're called to do together. Look at where it begins in, in verse 1. It doesn't start with, listen up, dads. Pay attention, moms. No, it says, give ear, oh, my people. Asaph is addressing all of God's people. This is a responsibility we share together as God's people. The church does this. So if you don't have children, or your children have grown up and moved out or moved on, this mandate is for you as well. God is calling you to be involved in preaching the gospel to the next generation. I can prove it. This psalm starts out with Asaph speaking in the first person singular. He says, my teaching, the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth. I will utter dark sayings. But in verse 3, he suddenly switches to first person plural. Things that we have heard and known, that our fathers told us. We will not hide them from their children. We, we, we. Passing on the gospel is a responsibility we share. And if you don't have children yet, or your children have grown up and moved out, there are still many ways that you can do this. I'm going to give you two. The first is, if you don't have children, one of the best things that you can do is to faithfully live out the gospel. Be an authentic Christian. Not a perfect Christian. We're all sinners. We know that. But live earnestly for the Lord. We're called to do that together. Even if you're not around these children directly very often, as you live out the transforming effect of the gospel in faithful community, you are validating the gospel message that all these parents are preaching to their children. Your faithfulness as a Christian, your participation in the church, it models something to the coming generation, and you are providing content for parents to tell their children about. I can't tell you how many times the Whitaker family has sat around the dinner table talking about some, some point of Christian maturity or virtue, trying to help the kids see what does it mean, say, to be a servant, and asking them, guys, who do you know that's a servant? Think about people in the church. Who's a servant? And they're like, oh, I know. Mr. and Mrs. Bear, they're servants. Arnie and Dawn Bear are in their late 50s. They don't have children of their own, and they serve constantly. Arnie is fixing people's cars. Dawn is fixing cupcakes. She comes from Amish country in western Pennsylvania, and I tell you, she can make some cupcakes. These are people who, can, who serve, who give their lives away. We're like, kids, you want to know what it means to be a servant? Look at Arnie and Dawn. What are they doing? By their faithful lives, they are preaching the gospel to the next generation. You know what else you can do? Second thing is you can pray. You can pray for parents in the church. Pray for parents in your small group. Pray for the parents with kids who sit near you. Please pray for them. Pray for me. Pray for my kids. Uh, if you're not sure what to pray for them, well, ask them. Man, few things would encourage a parent more than to hear that you are praying for them. What a blessing. What a gift. Is there anything you could do better for me than to pray for me and for my kids? But if you're not sure, here's a quick, uh, a quick reference guide to praying for parents. Pray at least these three things. That God would give them wisdom, that God would give them strength, and that God would give them faithfulness. 
As a dad, I, I need these three things so much. I need wisdom. I can't tell you how many times as a dad, I'm just, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do next. I need wisdom. I need help. And often that wisdom comes through God's word and it comes through God's people, but I need it. I need help. I need, I need strength. My kids are all four of my kids. I got four teenagers right now. I need strength. And the thing about teenagers is, you know, they, they're happy to talk, but they don't start until like 9.45 at night. Uh, and I think to myself, how about I wake you up in the morning when I'm ready to talk? See how you like that. It's wonderful, but I'm tired. And faithfulness. I need wisdom to know what to say, the strength to keep saying it, and the faithfulness to say it over and over and over, to not grow weary in doing good. So church, be a faithful model and pray, and in doing that, you are helping to pass on the gospel to the next generation. This mandate is for the church, but it's also for the family. It's even more so the duty of the family. You see that in verses three and five. Asaph mentions fathers and their role in telling the coming generation. Now, anytime the Bible addresses fathers, the father is addressed as a representative and dads and moms alike share in this representative. And yet, as fathers who are addressed, men, we have a responsibility. We have a duty before God to lead our families, to be faithful, to walk as a, in, a, in, a, in a fervent and passionate love of the Savior, to pursue virtue and honor, to love our wives, to lead our families and children to train and teach the next generation. This is our responsibility. It's a call to an entire way of living. Think about what Deuteronomy 6 says. You remember that when it says, when you rise up and when you lay down, when you go out and when you come in, to always be speaking the words of God's word to our children. There's so many opportunities to do this. I tell my kids, we'll get in the car, I'm driving them to their shift at Chick-fil-A, and I'll say, hey, welcome. Welcome to dad's classroom of wisdom and virtue. That's what our car is. And we talk all the time. We're driving around. Hey, how was your shift today? Well, it was fine. This kid said this thing. It was really weird. I wasn't sure how to respond. Great. Let's talk about that. What do you do the next time that kid says something weird? We do that all the time. We do it around the dinner table. We do it walking around the neighborhood. We do it while we're trying to get the lawnmower to work. We're always trying to get our lawnmower to work. I don't know what it is. I can get a new lawnmower, but then I'd be trying to get that one to work. So I don't know what it is with me and lawnmowers, but I'm sure there are ways you are doing this already. You are doing this in so many ways. We found a, we hit on a, a wonderful way to do this. We took a, a page out of my wife's family's playbook, something they did when she was a little girl. We started reading Christian biographies together around the dinner table. In the last year or so, we read Corey Tenboom's The Hiding Place and Elizabeth Elliot's Through Gates of Splendor. And there were many nights when I just had to call a timeout. I was crying too hard. I was so moved by the example of these, these Christians that have gone before, and now my kids are getting a double lesson. They're learning from Corey Ten Boom and from Elizabeth Elliot, and they're watching their dad feel the emotion of gratitude to God for the salvation through Christ. Mm. We got to see the glorious deeds of the Lord in people's lives. And as we're telling those stories to our next generation, they're being shaped in their love for God. What about hospitality? You probably have people over to dinner sometimes. Ask for their story. Hey, how'd you become a Christian? Make sure your kids are nearby. Don't waste that moment. 
Let them hear that. And oh, how we love then to talk about those testimonies as we're cleaning up the dishes after those folks go home. Did you hear what they said? Did you hear how God saved them? Isn't that wonderful? And if you're going to do that, well, then talk about your own story of salvation. I'm sure your kids know how you became a Christian, but tell them again. Kids love to hear that. Tell them how he saved you and how he worked in your life in this past week. Tell them how he helped you to be patient, to be courageous, to be faithful, to be diligent, to love him more. What did you learn in God's word? Tell them as you do, as you tell that story, you are passing it on to the next generation. And as you obey Psalm 78, know that God is eager to empower your storytelling. He is eager to bless your storytelling and cause it to bear fruit in the lives of your children. So church and families, we have a mandate to tell the coming generation. Now, fortunately for us, Asaph not only told us to tell the coming generation, he's also told us what to tell the coming generation. So if you are a note taker, the second point is the message. We have a mandate, we have a message, what to tell the coming generation. And that comes up in verses four and five. Asaph keeps going. He explains what to teach the coming generation. Look at verse four. We will not hide them from their children, but, here we go, tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. All right, that's like all one thing. Just, this is how Hebrew poetry works. Say it different ways, but it's all one thing. He established, here's the other thing, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. So glorious deeds, might, and wonders, a testimony in Jacob and a law in Israel. In other words, teach them God's works and teach them God's word. Two great categories to keep in mind, God's works and God's word. So what are these glorious deeds of the Lord that Asaph is referring to? What are the wonders that we are to proclaim to our children? Well, that's actually what the rest of the psalm is about. The entire rest of Psalm 78, second longest psalm in the Psalter, it's actually kind of a tough slog. This is not the happiest of psalms because it tells a story of a cycle of rebellion and restoration. Actually, there's four parts to it. There's God's initiative and goodness, God's mercy, then, secondly, Israel rebelling against God's mercy, falling into sin. Third, Israel suffering the consequences in repenting of their sins. And then fourth, forgiveness and restoration of God's blessings. And then the cycle just starts all over again. You'd think they would learn their lesson, but they don't. Well, who does that remind you of? It reminds me of me. <laughs> so it's a very helpful story to tell our children, to pass on to them this truth. The kids, we're just like the Israelites. My biggest problem is that wherever I go, I take myself with me. I am a sinner, and so many times I have failed and I have sinned. To tell my children of the glorious deeds of the Lord in the book of Exodus and in the life of dead. And I tell them how Guys, just like this, I have wandered, I have sinned, I have been restored, I have repented of my sins, and I have enjoyed the forgiveness of God. And that's possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that my sins have been washed away and forgiven, and now, until the day I die, I have union with Christ. And my communion with Him might be disrupted through sin, but it can be restored through repentance. We teach this stuff to our kids, 
And we help them to see this is what it means to know God. Let's teach them what the book of Exodus teaches them. That there is a God who wants to dwell with his people, who loves his people, but he's holy. He is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What a wonderful God we serve. So let's tell them that story. We teach them God's works. And we also teach them God's word. We teach them God's word in order that they might know God's works. Because we'll find God's works in God's word. Many ways to do this. I'm sure you read God's word to them. You bring them here to church. They're learning God's word right now. You teach them to love God's word when you read it. When you read it for yourself each morning. When you talk about what you read in your devotions or your quiet time or whatever you call it in your house. You train them in habits of reading it for themselves. There's no more valuable life skill than a habit of daily Bible reading. I want to equip my kids with skills of all kinds. I want them to be able to put a wiggle in where I'm on a fish hook and change a tire and flip an omelet, right? These are life skills. So I have very high ambitions for my kids here. Um, but I have even higher ambitions than this. I want them to read God's word every day and love it and to know this book and to come to it for help. I know you do too. That's why you're here. And there's so many ways this happens. When our kids were little, we just played them audio. They listened to it, but we got them in the habit of getting God's word in them every day. When they got bigger, when they started reading, little kids, we gave them kids' Bibles. Bigger kids, we gave them bigger kids' Bibles. Sometimes I wrote Bible studies for them. Sometimes we bought little workbooks for them to go through. As they got older, we started teaching them to wake up earlier than they needed to so that they could read their Bibles and pray. This year, I think this is our third straight year, all of my kids, we're all reading the Bible together in one year, just straight, not straight through, different chapters, but we're reading the whole thing in a year. And it's so great to be reading in the same chapters. And what'd you think about that chapter in Ecclesiastes this morning? We have a wonderful time talking about it. And then we, yeah, we discuss it. At every age, in every phase of their Bible reading, we talk about this book. There's no better gift than I can give my children to help them understand and know and love this book. Sometimes it's over dinner. Sometimes it's in the car. Sometimes it's sitting in the edge of the bed, tucking them in. We discuss it because I want them to hear my excitement for God's word, my need for God's word, my desire for my own thinking and feeling and speaking to be shaped by God's word. And so, let's tell ourselves, let's tell each other, and especially let's tell our children over and over again the story of God's saving power in Christ. This book is full of stories of salvation that shape God's people. They have shaped us, they will continue to shape us, and they will shape the next generation. If that's not reason enough to encourage you to tell the next generation, there is more. Asaph then tells us why all the people of God have a God-given responsibility to tell the coming generation. First, he tells us to tell them in a mandate. Then he gives us a message. He tells what to tell them. And then thirdly, we have a motive. Third, a motive. Why we should tell the coming generation. And this is in verses 6 through 8. When we read through this, did you notice the word that? 
that begins each of verses 6, 7, and 8. Look at it now. Verse 6, that the next generation might know them. Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And verse 8, so that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. That little word, that, tells us about purpose, gives us a reason to do this. Asaph wants us to understand that there is more at stake in this than just our children. To understand verse 6, we actually need to back up just a little bit to the very end of verse 5. Look what it says at the end of verse 5. Which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Okay, so there's generations before us. Our fathers, our parents, and their parents, and their parents before them. There's at least four generations. Let's just start with our, our fathers our fathers and mothers, to tell their children, oh, that's us. Verse 6, so that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn, there's a third generation in view, and arise and tell them to their children. Talking about your grandkids now. There's a lot at stake here. I'm not going to do the math for you right now, but uh, think about it. If you have a couple of kids, and each of your kids has a couple of kids, and each of those kids has a couple of kids. You're only a couple generations removed from, you have influenced maybe dozens or even hundreds of people. You start counting spouses and all the people that those kids and grandkids and great-grandkids are going to interact with. There's a lot riding on our faithful proclamation of the Word of God. Parents, what you're doing now can and will have downstream effects for generations to come. So think about it like this. Dads, when you come home from work and you're tired and you have a decision to make, do I just kind of veg? Do I chill out? Do I eat quietly? Or do we talk? Do we get into it about how the day was at school and what God's word has to say about these things? Think about this. There are more seats around your table than you see around your table. You've got seats for you and your wife and your kids, but around that table are your grandchildren. Around that table are your great-grandchildren and their spouses. There are future generations that are going to benefit from your faithful proclamation of the gospel. Moms, when you sacrifice your strength each day to care for your kids, to make a delightful home, to make memories with them, to, to sit and read to them, to do all the just mundane, repetitive things that moms have to do, all the cooking and cleaning, all the laundry, all the stuff that's going to be undone. Moms do things to be undone. I feel bad. It's such a, such a thing. I always feel like I should apologize to my wife for undoing all that she did, but it's a delight to her. And as you do those things, as you fold laundry, as you buy ingredients for a meal later in the week, you're folding laundry and making, in, and making meals for generations to come. You should imagine that meal that you're making, it's not just for your family. It is for a family reunion full of aunts and uncles and nephews and nieces and cousins and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And one day you'll get to see them all. I don't know how this will work, but I imagine that one day in heaven, there, maybe there will be a specific time. We'll just thank moms and there will just be lines of people getting in line to thank moms for their faithful 
proclamation of the gospel to the next generation. And so verse 6, this is, there's, there's a lot at stake. We're doing this for the future generations. Verse 7, here's another reason. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget his works, but keep his commandments. There's three things here. There's a progression. Set their hope in God, not forget his words, but keep his commandments. It's that they would know so that they would remember what they know and that, that, that they would act on what they remember. When we tell these stories, we are giving our kids the tools and the training they need to go out into the world to encounter a sinful, fallen world that is opposed to all things of Christ. And we are equipping them not to be assimilated with the world, not to love the world, not to be sucked into the world, but to stand as lights in a dark and dying world to proclaim the good news of the gospel for themselves to their friends and their classmates and their neighbors and their co-workers we're carving channels in their thinking and feeling pathways for their understanding of god and themselves and the world they're in we plant and we water as we tell these stories and then we trust god to give growth only god can save our children but he often uses these stories of salvation to do it. And then verse eight, the third, that, so that they will not harden their hearts and resist the grace of God. Frankly, that's what happens in most of the rest of this psalm. Many of the best stories, this one included, serve as a warning. But this is a gracious and merciful warning that's intended to protect the next generation and keep them from sin. It's a warning that God intends to use to help the next generation see the danger and destruction that comes with sin and instead to devote themselves to knowing and loving Jesus Christ instead. So we tell these stories so that the coming generation might know the glorious deeds of the Lord. We have a mandate, we have a message, and we have a motive for telling the coming generation. Now, there are other ways that we can do this, too. I'm going to shift gears a little bit here and talk about another way that we can apply this mandate to pass on the message to the coming generation. Jace asked me to come here and to preach this text so that I could tell you about a new venture to serve Sovereign Grace churches. And here's what it is. I am working with the leadership of Sovereign Grace churches, our little denomination, to start a Christian liberal arts college called Trinity College of Louisville. And let that sink in for a minute. It sounds crazy. Yes, I'm trying to start a college for our denomination. And here's why. I'll tell you a story. Since we're talking about stories, I'll tell you a story. When our Puritan forefathers landed on this continent, when they first arrived in the New World, obviously the first order of business for them was to find food and to build shelter. And they did that. They started building a village. And in that village, they started building a culture 1630, the Massachusetts Bay Colony was founded. And as soon as they had established a sustainable means of living, do you know what came next? Only six years later, 1636, they created an institution to ensure the transmission of the gospel to the next generation. They called it Harvard College. 
Now, Harvard College is something very different today than what it was originally founded to be. Harvard College was established to train up men for ministry in 1636, six years, only six years after these Puritans braved the Atlantic crossing and began carving out a life for themselves on the frontier coast of Massachusetts. Now, 24 years ago, Sovereign Grace followed in those footsteps when C.J. Mahaney led Sovereign Grace to start a pastor's college. I attended the second class of the pastor's college in 1998 and 99. And that experience shaped the rest of my life. The foundation that I received there, the understanding of God's word and his ways, the, the tools to, to read God's word, to preach, to counsel, all the things that, that we learned at the pastor's college, that foundation served me as I served for the past 20 years as a pastor, in the last 10 of those, they served me as I served bivocationally, working full-time as a businessman in Louisville, and now as I've transitioned to become the headmaster at a classical Christian school. And we need, we need a robust biblical Christian education for the next generation. Given the hostility in our culture to the gospel and to Christianity, I know that our children and their generation are going to face challenges to their faith that are greater than anything we've seen yet in our lifetimes. And this is why it's more important than ever to equip the next generation with biblical character and conviction and courage. And that's what we want to do in, with Trinity College of Louisville. So we are founding a four-year liberal arts college. We plan to offer a Bachelor of Arts degree in liberal arts. The goal is to fuse the best of sovereign grace, passion for, for gospel-centered everything with a classical Christian liberal arts curriculum. And we're calling it Trinity College of Louisville. We have a website that explains more about that, trinitycollegeoflouisville.com. Earlier this fall, we began offering a worldview class for local and online high school students around Sovereign Grace in order to equip a next generation of leaders with wisdom. And we're preparing for a launch this fall. It's like four months away in August of 2022. We're calling it the Bridge Year at Trinity College. The Bridge Year is going to function in two different directions, either as a one-year opportunity for intensive academic and discipleship equipping for discernment so some students will come and spend a year with us some students then this will be the freshman year of their four-year bachelor of arts degree and so we are recruiting students for that and so if you you can help us you can help us spread the word if you know somebody that would be interested as a, a senior or a junior or a younger high school student who might be interested in this help us spread the word give them our website we have we're we are working hard to get the word out on this. The, the college aims to serve students by forging in them Christian character and virtue. This godly character, it'll pervade every area of life, equipping students for lifelong growth in Christian maturity, to build godly marriages, to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the, of the Lord, to create a Christian culture in a church. We want to help them have the courage and conviction to resist assimilation with our culture, to resist theological liberalism, especially by equipping them with biblical views of race and ethnicity, manhood and womanhood, gender and sexuality, marriage and parenting. We have a lot of work to do to equip the next generation for these battlefronts. 
So I want to ask, if you would, if you think of it, when you think of it, to please pray for us. This is an ambitious endeavor to start a college, but we think the Lord is leading us into it to serve the next generation of sovereign grace and beyond. And it fits right in as an application to Psalm 78. When we tell the story of the gospel from our lives, from the lives of other Christians, from the lives of saints gone before us in God's word, we are shaping the next generation. So parents and church, let's see these stories for what they are. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. They are the stories of the Bible. There's the stories of your life and your conversion. The stories of how God is growing you to love him more telling these stories to the next generation. It's not mere entertainment. It's not a way to, just a way to pass the hours at the dinner table or on a road trip. God has used and will use your telling of the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's gonna empower it to shape the coming generation for his glory and the sake of his name in the earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And teaches us about your ways and your works. And Father, we pray that you would help us, help this church and help these families to proclaim the gospel to the generations to come, to be a faithful witness in our lives and to be faithful storytellers with our words. Lord, and we pray that as we do, you would prosper our efforts, cause the next generation to respond with faith and repentance that they might know you and that then they might turn around and tell the stories to a dying world and to the next generation that the gospel message might go forth and do the work that you intended to do in the world. So Father, help us, we pray, to be faithful. Would you please cause the message to be fruitful? We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen.